Welcome to episode 21 of Rethinking with Alex Torpy. I'm your host, Alex Torpy. In this episode, rather than presenting a more developed idea, I'm hoping for your feedback about thinking through something that I am working on and that I think might be interesting for all of you. It's related to the problem with paywalls when reading news online and a potential solution that I'm exploring with some other folks that is basically creating easy pass for reading news online. So check out the episode and please reach out to me if you have any feedback, questions, ideas, reactions at alex at rethinkingwithalextorpy.com. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend or liking or subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoy. Okay, so let's talk about paywalls. Now, there's no lack of problems related to, quote-unquote, the news, right? From the kinds of topics and events that even get coverage versus the ones that don't. From the false sense of objectivity that many outlets attempt to project, but the many biases built into coverage from any source, no matter what they claim, to the hyper-personalization of how information is presented to increasingly smaller and more divided and more fragmented audiences, even to the manner in which we literally consume news, often on brightly lit screens, on devices inches away from our face, maybe while we're in bed or doing other things that might have been relaxing. I think that's gotten a lot worse over the last two years. Now, there's a real long list of these things, and we're not going to have time to get into all of that um, in this kind of shorter episode today. Rather, I wanted to focus on something in particular and throw an idea out to you all, in part because I think it's interesting, but also in part because it's an idea that I'm actually working on right now. And so if you're listening to this episode and have thoughts about it, please reach out to me afterwards and let me know what you think. And I'll remind you about that at the end as well. The dynamic I wanted to explore today is related to the business model of the vast majority of journalism or media or news outlets, which I guess I'm using a little interchangeably here. And broadly, I think there's basically two pieces to this. One is a side that uses advertising revenue. And when that advertising is happening online, it comes in the form of dynamic, interactive, hyper-targeted ads that track your uh, behavior and as best as possible sentiment and serves you specific ads depending on what it believes uh, is best. Very different than an ad printed on a piece of paper or an ad on the side of a bus, for example. And the other side of this is subscription-based, which often come up in paywalls online where a user is required to provide personal and financial information and sign up to a specific publication for a certain amount of time. Now, I've talked a little bit about the vast array of problems that relate to advertising-driven revenue models before and how those models come really with a serious host of problems. And although the solution I want to discuss might actually get to some of that eventually, I really wanted to focus more on paywalls specifically, which I think gets less attention. Um, okay, now a paywall is a specific thing, right? At least in the way that I'm using the word. It's the requirement basically that for a user to access a specific piece of content that they create an account 
provide personal information, provide financial information, and commit to a uh, recurring billing cycle for that specific publication. So there's a commitment that renews maybe on a weekly or monthly or annual basis. Sometimes paywalls are instituted after someone has read a few free articles. Sometimes they are put up for certain content, but not for other content. Sometimes there are exceptions if you are visiting from, say, a mobile device or through a social media link. But by and large, this is uh, taking the subscription model of a newspaper, which uh, used to be implemented you know, by a teenager on a bicycle, throwing a newspaper at your door, and that got moved online, uh, where you have to pay someone ahead of time. Now you're committing to getting that uh, access. The funny thing, though, is that even though that model of subscription uh, existed before, you could also buy a newspaper, an individual newspaper from a newsstand or one of those, um, I don't know what they're called, those newspaper vending machines, you know, on, on city street corners. Um, and you can't really do that online, right? For most publications, the option is to view the free content. And if you want to view the content behind the paywall, you are now making a uh, commitment to that publication for a certain amount of time. And they often entice you with a cheap free trial or, uh, a, sorry, a cheap initial trial, right? That's going to get more expensive uh, afterwards. And before I get into uh, five specific problems that I've noticed with paywalls, I just want to mention that I think the consequences of all of this is actually pretty broad. Um, there is a real problem in a lot of communities and a lot of parts of the country, and probably everywhere to varying degrees, with how people access information and whether they have access to not only one source of relatively professional or credible information, but ideally have access to multiple sources. And ideally that those sources are not all from the same perspective, giving people a better ability to sort of self-navigate through the world around them and where they don't need to be, um, they don't need to adopt one viewpoint or another, but they can uh, get information from multiple sources and make up their own mind about what is happening. I'm seeing a lot of the divisiveness and the sort of adversarial two-sided perpetual artificial debate that I would argue plays out at the national level also play out at the community level. And I'm seeing a trend where a lot of those communities that are having those sorts of problems with bad discourse or a completely two-sided debate like there's people in power and the people who want to get in power to replace those people. And those are the only two sides of the story that you hear. And those two sides aren't compatible with each other. I'm seeing that play out in more and more communities and recently got a little bit of um, data to support some of that. You know, I've seen this from my own experiences in the communities I worked in more intensively as a business administrator. Um, and I have worked with or consulted with a number of other towns in the last couple of years, but 
uh, we sent a survey out through the New Jersey Municipal Managers Association to a number of administrators and asked them some questions about some of this, including misinformation, which was very prevalent in a lot of communities, uh, or access to local media, which was uh, not great. Um, and so this got moved to the front of my mind a little bit more. You know, I think I was a little spoiled in South Orange with the local media that we had there, which uh, was much better than average. We had multiple local media sources. Um, and it definitely wasn't perfect, but it was much better than what most communities have. And so I'm thinking about paywalls as one of the um, one of the barriers here. We know that there is difficulty supporting the business models for local journalism. I mean, we, we've seen some experiments over the years, including uh, like with AOL and Patch, and it's really difficult to sustain um, those businesses. And so the idea here not only addresses some of the problems with existing media outlets and paywalls and what that does to our civic and political discourse, but maybe it provides some support or ideas for starting local media in a place that otherwise may not have um, seemed like it could have supported uh, a local uh, journalism platform. And so those are that's sort of what I'm hoping to address and, um, and think about here. So let's dive into some of the problems. And these are not, this is not a comprehensive analysis of this issue, right? I'm just sharing some thoughts as I'm uh, thinking about this. So I have five different problems that I have noticed here that we'll each go through in uh, a little more detail. So number one, paywalls encourage a very bad dynamic in how people consume news and information that I might call source favoritism or source loyalty. Number two, they limit a publication's ability to share their content to people outside of their most committed existing or likely readers. Number three, they unintentionally, I believe, discourage the actual reading of articles or information that are being shared on social media, or they at least don't encourage it. And number four, by reducing any given publication's total possible audience, this shifts more pressure onto the existing readers and existing advertising revenue. Number five, they require and encourage the sharing of personal and financial information. Now, all of these dynamics combine into this problematic environment that I mentioned earlier, which I think is filled with echo chambers and is really making it difficult for us in the general public to effectively talk about solving our problems on a really basic level. And paywalls are not by any stretch, the only dynamic that that is throwing up roadblocks here, but it is one. First, let's talk about source favoritism or source loyalty. Now, I'm not sure this is a perfect phrase, but basically what this means is that people people become increasingly unintentionally biased in where they get their information from. And we already know that there's dozens or maybe hundreds of well-studied, scientifically researched cognitive biases that impact how people think and form beliefs and act. And confirmation bias is one of the most insidious of these. And it is ridiculously widespread 
in how people form social circles, consume and share information, exchange and learn about cultural dynamics, dynamics, adopt ideologies, and so much more. Uh, I actually saw an interview with someone once who was a uh, an active and an open member of the Ku Klux Klan, and this person very much was sure that they were not racist. And they were able to cite uh, a pretty shocking amount of literature um, in support of this position. They were literally surrounded by a library of books in the interview and were able to cite author and after author and book after book that supported a position that I think most of us would say, yeah, I don't think so. And they were able to do this in part because of things like confirmation bias, where we tend to seek out information or interpret ideas in ways that confirm or support what we already believe or want to be true. Confirmation bias is a dangerous thing. And for people who want to read a lot of the news and aren't able to use some of the tricks that can get around some of the paywalls, they have to literally pay money to publications to consume their content. And by doing that, it only further encourages that person to go back to reading the content from the publication that they already paid for. We're also aware of things, other biases like the sunk cost fallacy. Um, and we know that people have a tendency to overestimate the value of existing financial commitments that they've made. And we have a lot of other biases related to how we spend money and thinking, you know, those long at home trials for products like mattresses. I mean, they know that people are unlikely to give something back when it's been in their home that long. Um, and so I'm not sure if there is scientific evidence supporting the claim that this um, that related to consuming news, this effect is in place, but we see it in so many other areas that I find it hard to believe that this dynamic isn't also playing out in people, uh, in people's habits about how they read the news, that they are more likely to go back to a publication that they've already spent money on rather than spend money on signing up for a membership to a new publication. And this unintentionally, implicitly biases where people get information from because they're more likely to go back to that same source and, and get information with that same perspective. Second, paywalls create a selection bias in people who read their content. Now, if you typically watch Newsmax or Fox News say, but there's an article from the Atlantic that you want to read, but you get a paywall thrown up when you go to look at it, are you that likely to pay money to a publication you aren't sure is great, and you might even think it's not very great, to read one particular article that you might be interested in? I don't think that person is going to do that. I don't think that person is likely to sign up for a month or an annual subscription to that publication that's new to them and potentially disagreeable or objectionable. But if you love The Atlantic already or if there's a writer there that writes somewhere else and now they write 
at the Atlantic and you come upon one of their articles and then a paywall is thrown up, that person is much more likely, I think, to uh, sign up for that. And what this does is it further exaggerates the filter bubbles that we already know are a problem. Now, some publications offer a free article or two, but that doesn't always work um, depending on how that technology uh, is deployed. Sometimes multiple people from the same IP address or by reloading pages on a browser that could count, that could use up your couple of free views and then you're done. And although we probably want to find ways to get people to read information uh, from places that they don't normally get information from, paywalls encourage the opposite thing. Third is they discourage or they certainly don't encourage the reading of articles that are shared in places where you can see a title and an image and a sentence or two of the article. Now, I remember a few years back, and I don't remember which publication did this, but they did this sort of uh, study type thing where they released an article that was shared widely on social media. And the article was about people not reading the articles that they were sharing on social media. And they had like a statistic or something in the headline of the article. And then in the article itself, uh, they referenced how that, it was basically a trick. The information was different in the article. And this is an article about people not reading the articles that they share, right? And it was just sort of incredible watching how widely it was shared, clearly with people who were not reading the article, even when the topic was about not reading articles that you share. And this is a really big uh, problem. Um, and it's certainly bigger than and not caused by paywalls, but I don't think paywalls help. If someone sees an article that a friend shares on a social media site and they want to share it too, so they click the article, they're going to share it, they click it to open it, and then a paywall comes up, I don't think that person is that likely to, uh, to sign up for that subscription because they probably to some degree trust the person who's sharing the article. They trust that person's Reddit. They trust the headline is accurate or whatever, right? And they're sharing something that they already agree with. And so we're going back to that confirmation bias a little bit. They're unlikely to give that as much, um, as much sort of inquiry as if they came upon something that they didn't agree with. And so again, I think paywalls don't really encourage those people to then read that information. Um, and that's a problem too. Again, one that's bigger than paywalls, but they don't help. Fourth, anytime you reduce your total possible audience from a number that it could be, I think you put more revenue pressure on the rest of the audience. Whether you're in government and you're giving tax breaks and now other people have to make up for that taxpayer not existing anymore, Right? Or you make a product that you know a bunch of people could use but can't use because of some reason, you're potentially limiting where the revenue can come from. And if you cut people out who aren't the diehard fans uh, of a publication for being able to pay for your content because they can't pay for it on a one-off basis and 
at least for most publications, uh, and they aren't going to sign up for an annual subscription, you're losing out on potential revenue that could have been collected from those people if there were a different business model in place. And I think that this puts more pressure on bringing in revenue from the existing users, which might mean more and more obtrusive ads or higher subscription prices. Fifth, I think that this kind of thing encourages being frivolous with personal and private and financial information. My own belief here, which I think is substantiated in the practices that we are clearly surrounded by, is that really no one out there, governments nor companies, care about our privacy or personal data. Companies like Google and Facebook have literally made billions by creating marketplaces that collect and exchange more data about you than you can imagine even exists. And I continue to see governments frequently, such as the state of New Jersey, send and use things like social security numbers in completely unencrypted, unsecure platforms, seemingly not at all concerned with the thousands and thousands of people whose identities are stolen and lives are sometimes ruined because of these sorts of practices. As internet users, we also create like hundreds of online accounts with hundreds of different passwords or the same password if we aren't being careful. And those passwords and accounts frequently get exposed and those exposures can harm our credit and our lives. I don't think that we should have to provide all of this information to anyone who asks for it. We should have the right to protect our personal and private information especially when we know so clearly how much harm is caused by collecting so much of it. So what I'm saying is that we should be getting people used to not providing their credit card and personal information to anyone who asks for it. Rather, we should sort of guard these things and create systems that put layers between prying eyes and private information. And if you have to spread your personal and financial and credit card information around to you know, 15 different news sources, forget the fact that you actually have to pay the money for that, which is not going to be easy uh, to do in some of these cases, especially after these inexpensive trial periods are over. But now we are uh, spreading that information in ways and creating recurring billing commitments that, by the way, most newspapers, they're not actually going to send you a reminder email. They operate more like a gym hoping that you forget about your uh, recurring commitment and just continue to pay them as long as possible. For example, a subscription that I recently had, I found out I could not cancel online or by email, but you have to call them during their business hours and wait on hold and actually talk to somebody to cancel the subscription. Kind of like how gyms often make you go in person to actually cancel your membership. And those practices are only for the purpose of hoping that some people forget or are discouraged from canceling. Now, each of these things is a problem in its own, but together they contribute to this really bad environment in which we consume information, where we constantly find things that prove what we already know or believe. We aren't presented with ideas that challenge pre-existing ideologies or beliefs where we encourage people who create the media content to tailor it to specific groups instead of broad groups. All of this is contributing to the increasingly divergent narrative realities that I believe are becoming a bigger and bigger problem and possibly will undermine our entire 
way of government and way that we live. And I think part of the problem with all of this is that the media companies, most of them, especially the larger ones, don't seem to understand or care about these consequences. They are in the mode of trying to maximize quarterly earnings or whatever and ignore how these practices are undermining our goals in the long term. Though I think there's a solution here that actually would allow publications to do both, both maximize revenue in the shorter term while having less of a negative effect in the longer term. For this example, I'm going to pick on Gannett for no other real reason other than that they are the largest newspaper publisher in the US by daily circulation. And I just happened to come across a great quote from a higher up at USA Today, which is owned by Gannett, that I think shows part of the problem. And I'm actually not going to mention the person's name because I'm not really intending to criticize them individually, but just uh, talk about this sort of uh, analogy and example um, and why this is a, a, a problem, that this is the mindset in a lot of media. So this is an excerpt from an article, and that article is uh, linked in the show notes. Quote, Gannett's higher-up person is tired of journalists apologizing when they charge money for their product. After all, other businesses don't do that. It's not like at Starbucks, I'd say, I'd like a medium coffee. Well, I'm sorry, ma'am, we're going to have to charge you $4 for that, they said. End quote. But the problem, and so what they're saying, right, is that you go to Starbucks and buy an expensive coffee and they don't apologize for charging you for that, why are journalists apologizing for charging people for the news? The problem, though, is that the analogy for how media paywalls work uh, is not that. The analogy would be more like this. So imagine instead of Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts and Wawa, there are dozens of coffee companies, and each of them only makes one type of coffee that you can get. And yeah, you can get a few different options and sizes and such, but there's Donna's Drip, or Latte Land, or Cappuccino Corner. Yes, I do like alliterations. But to even go into one of those stores, you have to have an annual recurring membership to the store, where they're then allowed to track and use your buying habits for marketing purposes, and your membership at one place isn't transferable to another. They're just completely different companies. So if you have a membership at Donna's Drip, but today you want a cappuccino, you have to sign up for a whole new membership at the cappuccino corner. So either you kind of commit to having the same one or two things all the time, or you have to manage dozens of billing subscriptions that you create just to potentially get one of a particular product and to give you the freedom of choice to get whatever coffee you want on a given day. Now, this would never work from a market or economic or business perspective. I don't think any of us would accept it as consumers. Yet this is a more accurate analogy to how media outlets and paywalls work. And yet for some reason, we just kind of accept this ridiculous business model where you have to sign up for a long-term subscription to use one of a product. Now imagine a different scenario. What if you were to drive on a highway and to drive on that highway, you didn't pay a toll, but you had to pay an annual subscription fee to the specific highway agency that oversaw that road that you were driving on. But I only need to drive on the Garden State this one time. I always take the turnpike. Do I really need to sign up for a Garden State Parkway membership? Yes, sir, you do. Oh, wait, you're traveling to multiple states? Ooh, that's going to get real expensive. That would be insane. Nobody would accept that. 
Although, considering the number of people I see paying tolls, waiting in line to pay a toll with cash, I don't maybe some people would accept it. But we obviously don't do things that way, and it wouldn't make any sense. Rather, we have things like Easy Pass, and before that, you could just pay cash on a toll-by-toll -toll basis based on how much you're using it. But like with Easy Pass, I put money on an account, and that account is debited whenever it needs to be charged based on my actual usage of a road. And it gives me the ability to drive on any highway. Now, what I'm thinking is that we create the same sort of thing for news and media. And I'm working on some grant applications to potentially try to get a project off the ground in New Jersey to actually study this. What if we had something like a New Jersey news gateway and this third party you loaded money into an account with? Then every time you visited a news website, instead of getting a paywall thrown up, it just debited your account some small amount for what it cost to view the actual article. Maybe 10 or 25 or 50 cents or something like that. Maybe they have a discount built in to make reading multiple articles from the same source cheaper. Or maybe we do the opposite and the cost escalates each article, encouraging you to get news from different sources. Or maybe it does neither. Or maybe you get to decide based on your own goals. But instead of managing individual subscriptions with dozens of different places or being overly loyal to one particular source because you've already paid them, only increasing the echo chambers and filter bubbles, you'd be able to now freely move around the internet, reading news from whichever source you wanted to. This third party could easily keep track of your reading history so that you could go back and see what articles you've already read. Maybe it could even collect some data that you could use to analyze your news consumption habits. For example, plotting on a chart the partisan biases of the news sources or of the articles that you've read. Or maybe they can do that in a given subject. You could see, oh, that's interesting. Most of the publications I read are a little more right of center, but on this one particular issue, all of the publications I've read from are left of center. That might be interesting to know, or maybe it could show you sources that mirror what you tend to look at so that you can say, okay, well, I've looked at articles from this viewpoint on this subject. What else is out there? And it would be potentially a platform that could help you understand and improve your news reading habits. It's like a if you use Spotify and you get your Spotify wrapped, you know, at the end of the year, but instead for all the news that you consumed and with more detail and data, I think that'd be pretty damn cool. I think this is all a really potentially interesting solution. Again, not just to address some of the problems with uh, traditional media outlets that use paywalls, but also to potentially create a business model um, that allows more local media to sustain itself at the local level. I think those are both areas that we need to improve on. Um, and I think a solution like this could actually get us a little bit closer, but I'm not really sure. But this is what I'm thinking through right now, right? An easy pass for reading the news. And I'm really interested, the reason I recorded this episode is to share this with you and get your thoughts on this. So if you have feedback, advice, criticisms, compliments, or even if you're interested in working with other people on a project like this, feel free to reach out to me at alex at rethinkingwithalextorpy.com.
gmail.com. I'll keep you all updated if these ideas sort of turn into anything. And I really look forward to hearing from some of you and talking more about some of these really important topics. Hey everyone, Alex here. If you wanna find show notes, sources, and more information, you can do so in the YouTube description or online on my website at rethinkingwithalextorpy.com. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me with any questions or feedback at alex at rethinkingwithalextorpy.com or on social media. And if you liked what you heard, please consider leaving a positive review, subscribing, liking, or sharing this episode with a friend. Thanks again for listening.